Welcome to the Arena Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy the message. For a, a, a little time this morning, we believe in the Bible in this church. and We believe that it speaks to us. We believe that it endures forever. And uh, we believe that it's the foundation stone of uh, our works of faith. And so uh, we thank God for that. So uh, last week we... Um, Last week we, uh, we had a tremendous presentation from Julie and Christian uh, regarding uh, highlights and setting us up for vision. We'll go to the next slide, Chad, please. And, um, and, uh, and uh, this morning, um, if we could go back to the other one, that'd be great, thanks. That's it. Um, this morning, we're just going to run for the next two or three weeks uh, with this whole thought of uh, God saying who, who we are and this morning particularly in the area of identity identity uh, where God says I am who you say I am if we could have the Bible verses up that would just be great they're not I'm going to read them to you so um, two Bible verses one from the Old Testament one from the New and um, the 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 one in the New Testament is a few verses of reading and I'd like to Sometimes I try and just move on, but I want to read it this morning. But I want to encourage us, um, I'll come to it in a moment, that uh, this, this is a now word. Um, because in the earth, there is an identity crisis taking place. And uh, so I want you to really absorb it this morning. You may be in Jesus and yet still working through some things. Or you may be outside of Jesus in that you've never yet given your life to him. And it's the conviction of this church that we only really find true identity when our lives become connected with the one that made us and has purposed for uh, his will in our life and that Jesus becomes central to it. Rachel's quite right. God loves to take hold of people that the world walked past to use them amazingly for his glory. And so in Isaiah 41 and verse 13, God says, For I, the Lord your God, uh, will take you by the right hand. Not literally, it's a, it's a metaphor, it's a picture. But I, the Lord, will take hold of your right hand and say, Do not fear, I will help you. And then in Philippians chapter 3, we have a man that is seeking to find his identity, but in a wrong way. He's trying to find his identity in religion rather than in relationship. And so I'm going to read these verses to you. It's, what, it's who we know now as the Apostle Paul. But he begins to tell his story in Philippians when he was still known as Saul. Saul from a city called Tarsus. And he begins to say uh, this in, uh, in verse 4. He says, If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, or otherwise put confidence in themselves, I the more, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness, based on the law, faultless but whatever was gained to me I now consider loss for the sake of Christ what is more I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for whose sake I have lost all things I consider them garbage or rubbish 
that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and be a participator in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of all that Jesus has taken hold of me for. And brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and moving towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenwards in Christ Jesus. God will bless his word. Identity. What a big question in the earth right now. Defined by being the person that God has intended us to be. God is giving songs to the church in these days that declare his praise in the earth and speak out to the principalities and powers in the heavenly realm that reaffirm I am who you say that I am. We're going to sing a little bit of that at the end. God, friends, is always giving now songs to the church. That is why um, we no longer use the Red Redemption hymnal in our meetings on a Sunday. You heard last week as we honoured 90 years of Pentecostal witness in this town that we, we would have all most certainly had a congregation 30, 40 years ago that, that would have had four or five hymns from Redemption Hymnal. People think I'm against them, I love them. And I quote often from them when I write devotionally. In fact, at one time, I used to know nearly all the numbers of Redemption Hymnal off by heart. 332, years I spent in vanity and pride. 176, I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene. Number 71, love divine, all loves excelling. 619, oh happy day that fixed my choice on thee my save. So I, I get hymns, I get them, you know. But the reality is that as God moves on and as God wants to speak, he brings different songs to us that reflects, going back to Tuesday night, the prophetic voice of what God is saying in the now. And uh, so we thank God for that. And uh, we bless him for his goodness and for his grace. I've had people say to me, what's wrong with the Wesley hymns? There is nothing wrong with the Wesley hymns. My question is, what did the church do for the 1700 years before Charles and John Wesley came along? They sang the now song. And the Wesley hymns reflected a move of God. I'll even use the word, a revival. There's nothing wrong with them. But we are now in the 21st century and God is speaking into the earth now. You see, if we don't like change, we'll like irrelevance even more. And uh, so we have to reflect what, sorry, even less. And uh, we, we, so we have to reflect what God is saying. There's no wall that you won't kick down. There's no lie that you won't tear down running after me. Because God is passionate about people in the earth finding their Christ-centered identity. That's when life really, really works. We have an identity crisis because there's a failure to answer the three most basic questions that define us as people. Where have we come from? Why are we here? 
And where are we going? So this morning, I'm going to use three simple headings to try and encourage us again to realize and understand that in Jesus, we can really say, I am who you say I am. The first point is the contesting for identity. The contesting for identity. I don't want to, I don't want to overhamp this, but I don't also want to undermine it. There is a contesting taking place in what we call the heavenly realm between light and dark, seeking to define who we are in this season of the journey of life and the world. We realise that in the last 10 to 15 years, particularly the ways that we communicate have changed radically. And some of us that didn't know that way of communication prior to it happening, I've had to sort of get on the coattails of it and realise that if we don't sign up for it, then we sign up for irrelevance. No good me talking, saying, well, you know, I never grew up with computers, so I don't want to do email. You know, because if you knew how many emails came into my box during the week, you'd realise how many I've got to respond to and people want to respond. I can't ignore it. And the reality is that there was a time in life when the television was new. Remember a Welsh preacher once saying that as the television came up his street, up his drive, on the side of the box, he says, bring in the world into your home. He says, no, thank you. You can send that television straight back to the shop. We don't want the world in our house. You see. And uh, there's probably 2% of people in the country now that haven't got a telly. And if you were trying to do telly through iPlayer, they even said you've got to have a license for that now. So they've worked, they've worked, they've caught every base. They've caught every base. And so with the and so with modern communication, um, we have to appropriately walk our way through it. So the internet, social media, but is it just me? But with the upsurge of this way of communicating. We have also let the genie out of the bottle with an increasing crisis of people saying, who am I? An identity crisis. We also hear of identity theft, an identity fraud. There's no, no point anybody seeking to sort of, uh, uh, sort of go to my bank account and say there's somebody else. Because let me tell you right now, if you're thinking of doing it, there's nothing in it. So, you know, but... but but there are people that have been have masqueraded as being somebody else and taken money from people's accounts. It's happening on an incredible basis. Most uh, financial institute companies are, have big teams that pitch up every day, 24-7, working against identity fraud and theft. I remember on Christmas Eve, two or three years ago, Virgin ran me up and says, have you just withdrawn £3,000 on your Virgin card? I said, no, oh, we thought not. It Christmas Eve. <laughs> anyway, I remember her name now, Jackie. She was outstanding. She says, we thought it was an unusual transaction. We've done, done with it. There's no need to worry about it. And we'll send you a letter after Christmas confirming it. So I'm through Christmas thinking, I hope I get that letter. And... Uh, there we go. They sent the letter through saying, we dealt with it. There was somebody trying to take £3,000 off my account. So it happens all the time. Let me say, as in the natural, so in the spiritual. The enemy is seeking to defraud your identity. He's seeking to take from you what you are intended to be. And he does it 
by many ways, which we've not time to look at this morning, but here's three. He does it by comparison, so that he wants you to feel that you're not as good as others. So you live in inferiority, uh, you live in inability, you live in insecurity, you're always comparing yourself with somebody else. I wish I could play the guitar like Nathan. I wish I could lead worship like Annie. I wish I could get up like, uh, like Tim this morning. You're meant to be you. You're meant to be, don't spend the next 20 years wishing you could play the piano if you're tone deaf. God's got another gift for you. He's got another gift for you, you know. And uh, so comparison and then expectation, false expectation that he's put upon people that they were never designed to carry. And then what about intimidation? I'm going to say this. upon the way but the centering of our identity upon Jesus Christ the Bible says in the first book of the Bible Genesis that we were created in the image of God and if I can take you back to Philippians 3 for a moment Paul as I said once called Saul was seeking to find his identity in all the wrong places I've had people say to me you see the problem with you is it's religion And you can't deny that religion causes a lot of problems in the world. I have to say I can't deny. I cannot deny that religion causes a lot of problems in the world. Um, Across in the province of Ulster, you know, we've had a 20-year agreement of peace, but there's still some great big wars down some communities because of religion, you know. And uh, we've seen some terrible things happen in the Middle East in recent times because of religion. So I cannot deny that religion causes a lot of problems in the world. I'm not into religion. In fact, I despise religion. I'm into relationship. This church is not a religious church. It's a relational church. It's not trying to get to God. It's thanking God that he came and that we respond to him. So the apostle Paul is saying in the maturity of his ministry and faith, I tried so hard to find my identity. He said, I tried to find it by giving the list that I read in Philippians 3. He was an accredited Jew. 
He was from the honoured tribe of Benjamin. He was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. He was a Pharisee. And when you see how Jesus came against the Pharisees in the Gospels, you'll know that they were keen about religion. His zeal, his passion was worked out in persecuting the church. In Acts chapter 8 and verse 3, it says that this man caused havoc in the church. When he was going to Damascus where the risen Jesus met him on the hillside, he wasn't going for a nice jolly. He wasn't going for a picnic. He was going to take people prisoner. He was going to possibly even finish people's lives. He was totally taken up with this zeal of being against Christians. He goes on to say, as for righteousness, listen, based on the law, faultless. And yet, in all of this, he was angry, he was lost, he was destructive, and he was proud. And in the story that we read, he says, until I met Jesus. And I'll come back to that as we close the message off this morning. Until I met Jesus. It may be that you've tried Islam, Buddhism, Zen Buddhism, all sorts of religions. You've tried a bit of this, you've tried a bit of that, you've hung a few crystals up, that didn't work. You're only going to find your true identity by centering it on giving your life to Jesus. Him coming to you, not you trying to get to him. And he'll make all the difference. Pastor Tim Keller is seeing God build a tremendous work of God under his ministry in one of the most liberal-minded communities on earth, NYC, New York City. He's done it by making a place for the primacy of the preach word, but always thinking carefully how he can engage with this cynical, sceptical culture. And in his book on preaching, he defines this culture as saying over themselves, we only believe in our own authority. In other words, we met the rules up as we go along because we're God. You can understand when people take that stance and whether they've done it deliberately or been washed over by the culture of the age, millions of people have signed up to it while they push back on the claims of Jesus. And Pastor Tim ministering into that sort of environment to see many of those people come from making themselves their own authority in life to submitting to the amazing authority of Jesus as Lord and many being changed. He says this in his book. It is why Christianity offers such a... Why Christianity's offer of the good news can be recognised as so liberating. In biblical terms, we are socially independent and worthy beings because we were made in the image of God. It is an identity that is not achieved but received. Likewise, in the gospel, in the work of Jesus, that identity is baptised into something even greater. Listen, your identity is not achieved through performance or social roles or through our fulfilling of religious or moral standards or through our success or achievement of status. It is the ultimate recognition, the approval of God as he sees us in Jesus Christ. Our identity is to be found in him, 
not having a record of my own that comes from my performance and effort, but that which is through faith in Jesus. The righteousness comes from God on the basis of our response to him. And my passionate call this morning, if you're a person that's been trying to get to him, is to let him come to you. And here's three things. Here's three things on the board of of point two, if we can go back there for a moment, that uh, are so important for us to find in a centering on Jesus. Number one, justification. It's a long word. And we could camp here for the next week talking about it. But it simply means, Romans 5.1, that by faith we've been justified by God. It simply means that we have been made righteous by God when you became a Christian. You say, well, Phil, I have to be honest that even when I became a Christian, I didn't feel very righteous. There were still a few words coming out that, uh, you know, there were still things. No, you've been made righteous and then you ought to pursue righteousness. But not doing it in your effort from the basis of when God looks on us this morning, he doesn't see you, he sees Jesus. You have been justified by faith. And for a thousand years, the Christian church from around about 500 AD to 1500 AD didn't live in this revelation. The dark ages where priests would come ministering from the Bible in a language that the ordinary people didn't understand, where people would pay penance, where people would make the priesthood rich, where people would think they've got to literally kiss the step of every rising stair into the church to somehow get to God. Until in 1517, a German priest who lived in Wittenberg by the name of Martin Luther had a revelation that we weren't justified by all that. We were justified by faith. And the fire of reformation began to burn in Europe. And literally thousands and thousands of people became Christians. Justification. Then adoption. Romans 8.15, the Bible says that you have not been given a spirit again to fear, but a spirit of adoption, whereby you cry, Abba, Father. You heard Christian ministering first Tuesday in January about the Abba of God. It's, it's an Aramaic word that could only be used to define the intimacy, if you like, the daddiness of the Father of God as he comes and draws us to himself. That's what we've been brought into. We've been born into it, but we've also received the spirit of adoption. Now, the power of adoption is amazing. Let me tell you a little story about two of our friends. When I got married 40, nearly 40 years ago, he was my best man, and then he got married in Scotland, in Cairnbulg. Where's Andrew this morning? There we go. In Cairnbulg, and uh, northeast of Scotland. And uh, Andrew's been awesome on Arena Ministry School, by the way. It's a real blessing to have you, Andrew. And, uh, and uh, uh, so I was his best man and, uh, and uh, we'd both been in ministry and they raised four kids. We decided to stop at two, you know, and uh, well, I did have three brothers and sisters, so I knew what it was like, you know, so uh, <coughs> that's three sisters and three brothers, seven, nine in the house. When Sharon used to first come to our house, she says, it's so noisy in your house, so noisy. She was just living with her mum, you know. <laughs> she used to come to our house. <laughs> oh, she still put up with me, you know. Anyway, they have four kids. Their uh, their youngest uh, is uh, is in the Ealing ministry. Just recently got married. Beautiful young man, Sean. 
And then in their later life, they decided they were going to adopt two children. But if I can go a little bit further, it wasn't just straightforward adoption because the two children that they had laid on their heart were severely physically and uh, ment- brain damaged, mentally. mentally uh, and uh, the, the brokenness of the journey, the brokenness of these kids, and yet 12, 18 months in social services, and we can't believe the term. There was no hope for these children. We can't believe the turnaround. We can't believe the turnaround. So my, they didn't become... And I honour fostering my mum and dad, as well as I mean, some kids also fostered kids, you know. So that's why we're noisy in our house, you know. Um, so I honour fostering, but it, it, uh, you know, uh, and it's a great ministry. Uh, but they've adopted those two children. Those two children have the surname of my my friends. They they brought into the family. It's amazing. It's special. They're not just they're not just periphery to the family. They are the family. They're the brothers and sisters of the four blood sons and daughters of the family and if I can times that by a million thousand times that's what God's done for us in Jesus you're not on the periphery of the family you're not less special than somebody else you are adopted into the family this morning and your spiritual journey could be as broken as the physical journey of these little boys and girls but when you give your life to Jesus when you start to sign up for adoption he starts to change you you have people looking on you saying I never believed that he could be like that I never believed that she could change like that I never believed that God could use him in that way it's the power of adoption and identity brings it to us and then the power of union union in him the righteousness of God we're not just here, we're there. As one preacher says, God doesn't want to be on distant cousin terms with you. He wants to be on an intimate friendship journey with you. Union. And God has done all that for us in the centering of Christ. <clears throat> Being in Jesus pushes back on everything else. Situations, bad experiences, broken journeys, words that people have spoken over you that have sought to define you. You are not defined by your past. You are not defined by your postcode. You are not defined by what people have said. You are defined this morning by what God sees over you. And all he sees over you is a relationship with Jesus that says that you are righteous in his sight. You are adopted into his family. And that you are union with him to enjoy an ongoing friendship with the Lord. We come to the final point as I close. Not only the contesting for identity not only the centering of identity but thirdly the confirming of identity I came across this little card as I was getting the message ready this week you know preachers are always looking out for I thought well I don't know who gave me that and I really don't Um, but it simply says my child and it's got about 50 bible readings on and I was conscious that Eleanor would be chasing me if I went over the clock so I thought I better not do 50 Uh, I'll do seven So I've put seven up and I'm just going to run through them. The first one says that God knows all about us. The second one says that even before you were born, I knew you. I knew you. There's a lot of debate again about pro-life and particularly some decisions that have been made across the pond regarding full-term terminations in the last few weeks. Even when you're in the womb, he knew you. He knew you. Before you were born, he knew you. Ephesians says that you were chosen. Acts says that you are living in the appointed time. You're not late. You're not early. You are meant to live in this generation. Uh, The Bible says in Zephaniah that he rejoices over you with singing. 
Jeremiah says he'll love you with an everlasting love. And Romans says that nothing can separate us from the love of God. God is not mad at you. He is mad about you. He really is. He loves you. He cares for you. He blesses you. See, he said, Phil, I'm a a Christian. I felt sometimes I've messed up. You're loved with an everlasting love. You feel sometimes that the enemy's put a barrier between you. There's nothing can separate you from the love of God. You've had people say to you, I wish you'd never been born. But God does. Because even before you were born, he knew you. Oh, you can see how the identity starts to go up when we really get rooted in Jesus. And so we close. And we go back to the Apostle Paul. And here's four responses that he made regarding his relationship with the Lord that are found in that reading that I gave in Philippians. Number one, there was an assessment. The assessment was that all of his past was behind him. Number two, there was an abandonment. He wanted to be found in Jesus. Some of you are scared to give everything to Jesus. It's the most secure place you can find yourself in life. You need to lift your feet off the floor of your world and abandon yourself into the purposes of God. And it's the most secure place you can ever find. Number three, ambition. Not ambition to make loads of money. Nothing wrong with that when it's sanctified. Not ambition to be the top of your career tree. Nothing wrong if God's giving you favour. But his ambition says, I want to know Jesus. And I want to be conformable to his death. That was his ambition. And number four, advancement. Listen, the apostle Paul says, not that I have already attained. There was still more for him. You think the Apostle Paul? Yeah, the Apostle Paul. And this morning, friends, the good news is that God's given us so much, but there's so much more for us to give. Rachel, I speak the blessing of God over you this morning and all that you are carrying, the weight of your ministry. Uh, I, I speak favour of you as, you as you take forward that uh, incredibly important journey of child protection. We're inspired this morning as we see the graphics of the potential of the camp. And we realise that you've attained much, but you've not attained all. And so this one thing I encourage you to keep doing, I know you will, is to keep pressing into all that God has got for you as a mouthpiece into that needy nation of Albanian people. And across this room today, you might be 16, 17. It's pretty obvious you've not attained it all. But you may be 66, 76, 77, 80, 82 and I want to say there's still more. There's still more. There's still more for God to get hold of you. There's still more. I believe that God's going to give people creative ideas in their elderly years, in arena this year. God's going to put some of you in volunteering situations, educationally, medicals, etc. It's going to start welling up within you. Think, where did that come from? It came from God. It came from God. That, some of that time that you, you perhaps feel you can give to God in a renewed way. And God's going to do it for Jesus' sake. And so this morning, I don't care what the enemy says. I don't care what you've had to navigate. I do care in the sense that I speak to people in our church. I try and listen carefully. I understand that the journey of faith sometimes has been a very broken one for many, many people. But this morning, the Bible reminds us that we are true in him. That we are not seeking to pursue the journey of God going forwards for identity, but from it. I am. Who you say I am. Let's pray. In a moment, Tim's going to come back and just lead us in the the final expression of worship through our giving this morning. And then the band are going to lead us 
Uh, we didn't need a word of knowledge to know what the closing song was going to be this morning. Um, and they're going to lead us in this song. It's interesting, we've been singing this song on regular basis in this season. And it's not without significant friends. It's not without coincidence. And this morning, uh, as we just bow in our heads and praying, uh, we want to put out a, a, a call again. You're in the service. Uh, you've been on a journey. So Phil, I've never really stepped into Jesus. I'm trying to work this out myself. I'm trying to get to where I want to be. Uh, maybe even this morning as I've spoken, and I'm sorry if it's happened, but it's happened for a reason. Maybe some of that pain's just sort of welled up in your heart of what's been said to you on the past. Some of those failings. And God's doing that to say, this morning, I want to wash it all away. I want to wipe it clean. I want you to step into your God-ordained journey in your identity in Christ. For you to realise today that what he says over you is what you are. And so if you'd like me to pray for you this morning... Uh, before we just move on just a moment or two say Phil pray for me that's me this morning if you just put up your hand and put it down again thank you thank you thank you right at the back thank you lots of hands going up I'm not going to ask you to come to the front I'm not going to bring you out right at the back somebody else this morning saying that's me Phil you won't do it in religion you won't do it in self-effort you'll do it by living out a life from what Jesus wants to do in you and as you've heard in that great presentation this morning, you might be saying, it couldn't be me. God couldn't use me. You're exactly the person that God's going to come to. 1 Corinthians 1, God's treasure chest, the things that are not, the things that are fallen, the things that seem feeble, the things that other people despise. He sends to this nation and other nations for his glory and for his praise.